first two women I was asked to see had such broad East End accents. I literally hardly understood what they were saying. <laughs> you know, I, I hardly responded because I didn't really understand what they were saying. And no one had given me a, a little dictionary with prison terminology, so I didn't know what the block was or what remand was or what any of these words were. But um, Holloway was my learning ground, and every week I went in, I learned new things about why people are in prison. And at the end of my four years that I worked there, I could count on literally one hand the women I met who had grown up in loving homes. Mostly they'd come from abusive homes. Welcome, everybody. This is Simon Gilbert with Inspired. Inspired, if you're new to us, is all about meeting different friends of mine, different contacts from all sorts of walks of life and hearing about their journey through the highs and the lows. And hopefully, and I have no doubt this week, you'll be inspired, but in 45, 50 minutes or so, leaving with a, a cheesy grin on your face, vicarious joy, having heard how God's been at work in many nations. And, you know, we're bombarded by so much bad news in general. So this is about stirring faith. And I have no doubt, as I said, that you'll be encouraged because we've got a fantastic guest this week. It's Emmy Wilson. Welcome, Emmy. Thank you. Great to be on your podcast. Yeah, brilliant to have you. So Emmy and my paths crossed briefly uh, way back 20 plus years ago at the HDB Home Focus event in Pakefield and she's had an incredible journey. Emmy has been involved in all sorts of stuff but her main life work for about 30 years, recently retired, but uh, was Alpha Prisons work. So we're going to get to that, Emmy. But uh, listen, I've, I've listened to you talk a number of times and I haven't heard much about your childhood. Can we go back to your childhood? Any sort of key moments there? Uh, one of four sister, uh, four girls and uh, parents who attended church would have called themselves Christians. Um, uh, went to boarding school where I had to attend church, which I found hmm. extremely boring. Um, and I think my first encounter with a holy God was when I was confirmed at school and I, I had a joke book, which I used to record any sort of worthwhile joke. And when I was confirmed, I thought that was probably quite unholy. So I, I binned it uh, and felt a lot better for doing so. Um, but then really didn't encounter anything to do with Christianity until I became a student nurse. Right. So did you have a friend that took you along to church? How did it come about? No, it was in my uh, year group that I trained with at the Westminster Hospital. And um, a few of them were Christians and they invited me to their Bible study group one evening and I was intrigued but confused because I hadn't, haven't, didn't really have a clue what they were talking about. Um, but that was my first sort of, oh, I wonder what this is all about type feel, although I never pursued it and they didn't pursue me either. So that was fine. But yes, I, I certainly became interested in, in the word of God, I guess you could say. Hmm. I think we're probably similar in terms of background at boarding school and being anaesthetized by compulsory school chapels. Uh, um, but I know uh, your story then becomes uh, more dramatic, doesn't it, in terms of encountering him? Do you want to talk about that? Yes, I, I, I guess my first real encounter um, after I became a Christian was in 1982 when John Wimber was invited to come to speak at HTB. Uh, the first night he spoke, it was just to the leaders. I wasn't the leader, so I wasn't there. But the second night, the church house was opened up to anyone who wanted to come. And I was listening to him as a, as a nurse at the time, thinking, oh, this gift of healing sounds amazing. And I'd never asked for any of the spiritual gifts. But because I nursed people who were sick, I thought, 
wouldn't it be great to pray for them and see them made well as well? So he had words of knowledge that evening for people with back complaints. And I'd had quite a nasty horse riding accident the year before, and I went forward for prayer. And when the team came to pray with me, they said, uh, what would you like prayer for? And I wanted the gift of healing, uh, but I also wanted my back healed. And I didn't know that, <laughs> that God could do more than one, one thing at a time. And uh, so they were sweet. They said, look, just close your eyes, focus on Jesus, and we'll do the praying. And as they said, come Holy Spirit, I was filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time. And that literally was the start of my Christian life because I'd done the Alpha course when it was a six-week course, no weekend away, and hadn't been filled with the Spirit. So found my Christian journey boring and pretty irrelevant without the Spirit. So you went back to nursing and uh, tell us about some of your stories in nursing. Well, uh, all I remember is as a a sister of the gastroenterology department that when there were difficulties in doctors either doing procedures or in patients being difficult, I used to just very, very quietly pray under my breath in tongues and things would change. And I remember thinking this is utterly extraordinary. And that was really the, the first I started to see God moving by his spirit in my life. But then when I was invited in 19... 85 in the uh, spring of 85 to join the church at HDB to join the staff in order to start the first social transformation work. I knew that if I was going to say yes, that anything that is started um, as a Christian needs to be birthed in prayer. And that summer, there was a conference in California called Teachers How to Pray that John Member was leading and speaking at. And I thought, I need to go on that because I need to learn more about prayer. And there were about 20 of us who went from Holy Trinity Brompton. And on the third morning, he had a word of knowledge at the end of the morning session. And I knew I needed to go forward for prayer. But the issue was I had a very full bladder. <laughs> so I had this sort of conversation with God. Do I go to the ladies first and then come for prayer? Or do I go for prayer and then go to the ladies? Anyway, my bladder won. And I went to the ladies. And of course, it was a long queue, but came back in. And I thought, oh, I've missed it. All these people were at the front being prayed for. And then I just felt the Holy Spirit say to me, don't move into self-pity, go forward and pray for those who are already receiving prayer. So I went forward and just closed my eyes and began to pray. And as I did so, the Spirit of God came, felt, well, I, I started basically just to cry. And uh, at the time, I remember thinking, I don't know what this is all about. And then I got this extraordinary pain over my heart. And being a nurse, I thought, am I having a heart attack? And I ended up lying on the floor and the pain got greater and greater. And I thought, oh, what's happening? And then by, by, by now, a few people were praying for me as well. And then I heard a girl turn to someone and say, don't worry, God is just breaking her heart. And as she said those words, I knew it was right. And I remember saying, yes, Lord, break my heart. And I'm so grateful for that experience because I didn't know at that stage, not only as I was about to embark on street ministry. Um, but I had no idea that one day I was going to end up working in prisons and that I would need to have God's heart for these people rather than uh, a heart that had grown rather hardened through my nursing career. And I'm, I'm very, very grateful for that conference um, for exactly that experience. Mm. Yeah, so I remember you talking about how you didn't feel particularly much compassion for some of your clientele because they were extremely promiscuous lifestyle and in a sense you felt they deserved it. Tell us about your heart change there. Well, one 
morning I was waiting for a patient to come in to have a bronchoscopy, which was the way patients were diagnosed uh, with HIV and AIDS. And I was dressed from top to toe in full protective clothing, I suppose you would call it PPE these days. Um, I had to wear goggles and hats and gloves and overshoes and green um, theatre gowns. And uh, it's probably a good thing the patient was late because I was talking to God and saying, well, no wonder they're sick with HIV because of their promiscuous lifestyle. And I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, you're judging. And I said, yes, but, but this is the reality, God. It's terrible. And then I again heard him say, well, I died for this person just as I died for you, and I love them just as much as, as I love you. And I knew the first commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, but I also knew by then that the second commandment was to love your neighbor as yourself. And I wasn't doing very well with that second commandment. So I prayed a grumpy prayer, uh, which hmm. was, well, Lord, if I'm to love these people, you're going to have to change my heart. I mean, it was such an unwilling prayer. It was just, you know, a statement rather than a real earnest prayer. And of course, the Lord loves to answer grumpy prayers. And within a very short time, I found that God started to take the blinkers off my eyes. And everywhere I walked, whether it be in the streets or in a shopping center or wherever it was, I just started to see people in need. And I'd never noticed them before. And I I started to think, wow, there's so much need out there. And and then as I started to look at the need, I thought, how am I going to reach these people? How am I going to... deal with all their needs but of course I wouldn't be doing it all myself God would bring people in the months years to come who had special giftings who would join the team but um, it was those early days that God literally transformed my heart and then enabled me to see uh, where people were at. So why did you leave in the end and go and work for church? Well I was invited to do so which was not what I was expecting. It was not, oh, Lord, all all I've ever wanted to do is work for the church because I had a possible interesting nursing career ahead of me. But uh, one of the verses that has been key to my um, life has been Proverbs 16, verse 9, which says, in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord orders his steps. And my life was going to be my nursing career. Then I would meet my husband, fall in love, get married, and get pregnant with my first child and then leave my nursing career and probably have at least six children. Mm-hmm. And um, this hadn't happened at that point. So when I was invited on the church staff, um, there were no other lay people on the staff in those days. In fact, there was uh, John Collins was just about to swap over with Sandy Miller's as, as, as vicar and curate. Um, he became Sandy's curate. And there were three other clergy and me and a verger and two secretaries. And that was it. Um, uh, But I just felt I had to say yes, even though I had no idea what it would look like. But when I started, everybody said, oh, you're the Jackie Pullinger of Earl's Court. (laughs) And I said, no, I'm not, uh, because I did know that Jackie was called to be a missionary when she was about four or five and I came as a reluctant mission and not, not as a one that had grown up knowing this was going to be my life call. And then uh, early on, Sandy said to me, oh, um, you're such a good cook. Could you do all the catering in the church? <laughs> so I started to do all the alpha catering and all any other occasional catering. And then the church house kitchen needed to be reordered. So I did that. And, and then they said, oh, 
course. And he said, well, um, some people need some counselling. Could you do some counselling? And I said, but I'm not trained. And he said, yes, but you're a, a nursing sister. You've got a lot of common sense. So, you know, one minute I was counselling a vicar and his wife going through marriage problems. The next minute I was designing the new church house kitchen and and uh, providing all the food for Ralph. And then the next minute I was the Jackie Pullinger in Earl's Court. So I, that first year that I was on staff, I literally didn't know who I was. And uh, I think I was in tears more often than not. And then you were given this prophetic word, weren't you? Tell us about that. Well, in 1990, Sandy Miller, um, in some ways, I think quite bravely, because he did get some flack, invited the Kansas City Prophets to come and do a two-day conference at Holy Trinity. Um, these were uh, John Paul Jackson, Bob Jones, and um, uh, who's the third one? Paul Kane, uh, was it? Paul Kane, yes, Paul Kane. And uh, on the second day of the conference, he asked these prophets if they would mind praying for some of the staff team, but not in the public setting. And I was one of the ones that he picked. And I'll never forget it. These two prophets, John Paul Jackson and Bob Jones, walked in to the crypt room and um, we said, oh, it's great to meet you. How are you? And, and John Paul Jackson said, oh, I've got a hell of a headache. So we thought, oh, if he's got a headache, he won't be prophesying very well. But anyway, we prayed for his headache. That was healed. And then I was the last of the four to be prophesied over. And Bob Jones started by saying, um, he was sitting across the table from me. He said, Emmy, put up your hands. And he, put, he raised his hands and then touched my hands. And as he did so, 20,000 volts of power went through my body. And I was literally glued to this pass horse, I could not move. And the fear of God just overwhelmed me. I started to sob. And then they both began to prophesy. And part of what they said was um, that I would be a key unto many people who themselves could no longer be free, that I would be right in the middle of the Salvation Army, bringing the love of Christ to people, and that a teaching ministry would rest on me to reveal the love of Christ mightily. It was all in poetic rhyme. And I transcribed all these words into my journal, didn't have a clue what they meant. But a few months later, Sandy stopped me outside his house and said to me, did I know he was on the board of visitors of Holloway Prison? And I said, no, Sandy, what does that involve? And he said, well, we listen to complaints, whether it be prisoners or staff or whatever. And I said, well done. And then he said, well, I was talking to the chaplain yesterday and he's very stretched with all the pastoral needs of the women. So I said, I'm sure he is. Um, and then he said, well, he asked me if I could suggest someone from Holy Trinity who could get involved. Because I was stuck, I thought, you know, together we were going to start to come up with a few names. And then Sandy paused, looked straight through me and said, well, actually, am I thought of you? Uh, I said, no, not prison ministry. And I went home, opened my journal and reread the words that the prophets had spoken over me, that I would be a key unto many who themselves could no longer be free. And I suddenly realized, oh, my goodness, that looks like prison ministry to me. And so I've learned over the years that obedience to the call of God is so key. And going back to that verse, you know, you plan your own course in, in your heart, but actually it's the Lord who orders your steps. Yeah. So I went for an interview with the chaplain and he said at the end of the interview that he wanted me to start straight away. But then for some extraordinary reason added, uh, he thought that praying in tongues was from the devil. <laughs> so I thought, oh dear, because that's not my understanding of scripture. 
But he then said, we do have to check out your security background and you need to fill in these forms. And it was just when first and second class stamps had come out. So I thought if I fill in the in the security forms slowly and post them in a second <laughs> class stamp, it will delay my uh, application by at least uh, 48 hours. So I did that. And then um, I had nothing back. And I started to think, oh, now what have they discovered in my background that they don't like? And then I thought... I wasn't that naughty at boarding school, you know. <laughs> but uh, anyway, didn't hear anything back. And three months later, this was Christmas time, my father was nearly killed in a head-on car crash. And I was obviously very involved in caring for him. And then my eldest sister went through a, a pretty awful divorce with four young children. And so I became very involved with that. And then whilst my father was recovering um, from his car accident, he had a huge nervous breakdown. So I, I was not, you know, prison ministry was not priority. It was my family. And the following summer, I, I, I then thought, well, this is really strange. It's now nine, ten months since I applied. Maybe it's never going to happen. But I went on holiday to Skiathos with some single friends. And on the flight was a couple not in our group, but I, I, I did know them. And at the airport, the wife came up to me and she said, God's told me you should read this book. Hmm. And I'm a very slow reader. I had my holiday books in my case, but I've learned uh, to be gracious. So I said, oh, thank you very much. And read the book in, in literally 36 hours. And it, the book was called Rescued by Love, written by a woman who had discovered her husband was in a homosexual affair. And literally three days later, she shot him dead. And... Her daughter, who was only eight at the time, the night before she went into Holloway Prison, prostrated herself across her mother's bed saying, Mum, you cannot leave me, you cannot leave me. And I thought, I can't imagine what would it be like to be given a life sentence and leave your daughter at home. But on the day she went into Holloway, uh, Jesus appeared to her in her cell. Hmm. And as a result, her whole sentence was transformed and it was an extraordinary story. And I sobbed my way through reading this book on the beach and handed it back to this girl literally two days later. And then she said, I've got another book you should read. And the second book was by Sabina Vernbrandt. Mm. And I knew Richard Vernbrandt had been in, in prison at the end of the Second World War and in, indeed in solitary confinement. But I didn't know his wife had been in prison as well. And it was her account of sharing a cell with 60 women, one slop-out bucket and just terrible conditions, rats and cockroaches and famine and horrible stuff. And as I lay on this beach um, reading this book and sort of thinking about prisons, I remember just saying to God, I, I don't understand why I had that interview 10 months ago, but here I am looking at the birds soaring and the sea lapping at my feet and the sun shining. And who am I to say that if I'm ever you know, asked again that I can't attempt to go into prison and bring some of your love and some of your freedom. And I, I, I didn't recall the actual date, but I think within a week of coming back from that holiday, I had a call from the chaplain mm. all the way saying, I've just discovered under a very large pile of papers on my desk, your security forms were passed nine months ago. Hmm. Uh, when can you start? And I found the words coming out of my lips next week. And uh, so 1991, September 91, was when I began working at HMP Holloway. Oh, so that was 32 years ago. So HMP Holloway, that's the largest women's prison in London, isn't it? It was. It's been closed, actually. And I did the last ever Alpha course in that prison just before it closed. 
And actually one of the most tragic things of all was a lady I used to spend hours and hours and hours sitting on her bed, listening to her and praying with her. Uh, she was alive for a bit. On that last visit at that prison, she was still there. And, and it shocked me to think of all the countries I've been to around the world in all those years that she's still been in prison. So, yes, captivity is, is, is a horrible thing. Mm. So, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you're, you're very well spoken uh, and going into prison, was that, was that easy to do? Uh, I know I'm very posh <laughs> and uh, don't deny it. I often say my grandmother is rolling over in her grave thinking about what I've been doing. And it was always my mother's biggest fear that I would marry an ex-offender. But there we go. But anyway, no, I, I didn't find it easy. I mean, the first uh, two women I was asked to see when I did start working at Holloway had such broad East End accents. I literally hardly understood what they were saying. <laughs> And for an hour, they, they were angry women and they were sisters and they just literally did a, a sort of angry dump on me. And throughout that hour, I said, oh, and ah, and oh. And, you know, I, I hardly responded because I didn't really understand what they were saying. And no one had given me a, a, a little dictionary with prison terminology, so I didn't know what the block was or what remand was or what any of these words were. And at, at the end of the hour, I thought, well, I am chaplaincy. I need to say something. So I said, uh, can I pray for you? And they said, yes. And I did this loving prayer. And to my horror, at the end of that prayer, they said, oh, can we come and see you again next week? And it was torture. <laughs> but um, Holloway was my uh, learning ground. And every week I went in, I learned new things about why people are in prison. And I remember thinking, gosh, uh, at the end of my four years that I worked there, I c could count on literally one hand the women I met who had grown up in loving homes, mostly they'd come from abusive homes, whether it be sexual abuse, uh, spiritual abuse, um, drug abuse or, or whatever. And, um, yeah, I was very grateful to have grown up in a loving home. Hmm. Yes, what a gift, likewise. Um, 1994 was a key date for you. What happened? Yes, there? well, 94 was when... Um, uh, the Holy Spirit began to move very powerfully around the world. I have friends who always know when the Spirit is moving somewhere, and they told me about this little church at the end of a airport runway in Toronto. So I was aware that something was happening there. And then one Tuesday morning, uh, our clergy team just went at the staff meeting and it turned out that they'd gone to hear Ellie Mumford speak, and she'd just returned from Toronto, and uh, they were there. So we had a lunchtime meeting every Tuesday, and... It was chaired normally by Nicky Gumbel and we used to talk about the Sunday services and he wasn't there. So we, we got through our meeting and then right at the end of the hour, he appeared at the door and said, sorry, I wasn't there. But because I knew where he'd been, I said, how, how was your morning? And he said, it was great. And But turned on, a, on, on literally to go out of the room because he had another meeting to go to. And I said, Nicky, you can't, you can't go without praying for us. So he literally stood at the door of the meeting room and just said, Lord, thank you that you're moving by your spirit all around the world. Please bless this, uh, this, this team in Jesus' name. And as he turned to go out, the Spirit of God fell on me and on his PA, Philly. And we both began to laugh. And, I, you know, Simon, I'm an ex-sister. I'm a sensible person. <laughs> I, I don't do odd things. But literally, I was overwhelmed by the love of Jesus. And I... I had this cry that came from my deepest belly that went, whoa, Jesus. It was like, I love you so much, Lord. And this went on and on and on for literally two hours in this room. And everybody who came into the room was filled with the spirit. And 
It was it wow. was holy chaos. It was extraordinary. And at the time, I remember putting up my arms and just saying, Lord, I love you so much. I don't mind where you send me or where I go. And then that on that Sunday, someone came up to me and said, because um, Ellie came and spoke, and it was wonderful. People were just being filled with the Spirit. And this guy came up to me and said, God's told me that I should pay for you to go to Toronto to um, experience the Holy Spirit there. And I said, but I don't need to. You know, I've received the Holy Spirit and power here. Uh, and he said, no, no, God's told me you should go. So I said, please, can I pray about it? And the next morning was, uh, next day was a bank holiday in May. And I remember waking up thinking, I've said I'm going to let him know by the end of today. And then after lunch, a friend rang and I hadn't spoken to her for probably 18 months. And she said, um, I've just booked two seats to Toronto. I got out my diary to ask God who I should take. God's put a highlighter through your name. Um, huh. Do you want to come with me? And, you know, I was so sort of, I, I had no idea really what, what to say, but I, my response was, oh, I need to pray about this a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that evening um, I went out to supper, came home, my flatmate shouted from upstairs, oh, there's a call for you downstairs. And I picked up the phone and the opening words of a, previous flatmate were, you're going to Toronto, aren't you? So I thought, mm, okay, Lord, I think you've made it clear. So three days later, I was on an aeroplane with this girl, and we had the most extraordinary four days there. Uh, I remember there, uh, there was one occasion when uh, John Arnott was praying for some uh, nuns, and they were on the stage, and he asked all of us just to stretch out our hands. And the Spirit fell on me after... Uh, we'd finished praying and then he I heard him say oh who's that over there and someone said oh it's Emmy from London and he brought me up on the stage and <laughs> he said do you normally behave like this and I said no normally I'm quite normal <laughs> anyway I came home flew overnight and that was on a Sunday night and Monday was always the day I went into Holloway and really I should have rested but I thought no I've got to go into the prison there was a sweet lady called Mabel, and while she was on weekend leave, she got pregnant and had the baby in Holloway. And I did. A, I spent a lot of time actually on that floor because I used to um, love supporting the women who often got caught at Heathrow Airport bringing drugs in from Africa. Anyway, when I went into her cell, she was lying on her bed, and I said, oh, Mabel, what's wrong? And she had damaged her back, and over the weekend, basically the staff and the other prisoners had to care for her baby and she could barely move and she was a lovely Christian so I started to tell her all about this experience in Toronto and eventually she, she sort of said well aren't you going to pray for my back so I said yes and so she struggled to sit on the edge of the bed and I laid hands on her asked her how she was doing and she said no difference prayed a second time still no difference and at that point, I said, Mabel, there's other women I need to go and see now. And when I got to the door of her cell, she said, aren't you going to go and tell the other women about your time in Toronto? And I said, but I haven't really got a relationship with them. You know, I come and visit you, but I don't know the other women on the wing. And she said, well, I think you should. So I left her in her cell on her bed, walked down the corridor, around the corner, got to the sort of communal area. And it was tea time. And there were about 12 women feeding their babies. And I stood in front of them, this was not planned, and I put out my arms and I said, listen, everybody, the Spirit of God is moving powerfully all around the world. And suddenly Mabel appeared behind me and was jumping up and down saying, my back, my back is healed. Hmm. And I turned and looked at her 
because I'd left her sitting gingerly on the edge of her bed. And, you know, all the women just said that must be God because they knew that she was barely you know, able to move. And then every single woman in that group asked me to pray for them. And I got to about the fifth or sixth lady and I said, how can I pray for you? And she said, well, tomorrow I'm being deported and I'm being sent back to Nairobi. But please, could you pray that I go to New York? And I did a sort of internal chuckle thinking, well, that's an interesting prayer request. I said, well, why do you want to go to New York? And she said, well, I've got this baby here, but my husband and my two other sons live in New York. So I said, fair enough. You need to be reunited. So I prayed a simple prayer. Lord, I don't know how you're going to organize this, but please would you ensure this lady tomorrow goes to New York City, not to Nairobi. In Jesus' name, amen. And then moved on and prayed for all the others. And then the following Monday I went in, Mabel's back was still strong and well, and she was excited. And then I said sort of rather tentatively, did you ever hear from that lady who was being deported? And she said, oh, yes, she rang on Wednesday of last week. And I said, and? She said, well, she said, you're not going to believe this. I'm ringing from New York City. And I said, wow, what happened? And uh, the reply was, well, I was handed my boarding pass for a flight to Nairobi, got to the door of the plane with my child. And then an official came and tapped me on my shoulder and said, you're on the wrong flight, follow me. And if you're being deported, you can't argue. And taken back up, you know, along to a different gate and handed a second boarding pass. And that boarding pass was to New York City. (laughs) So, you know, I still didn't quite believe it. uh, A year of little faith. And two years later, I was telling the story in Sen prison on an Alpha Holy Spirit day. And one of the girls put up her hands and she said, excuse me, miss, I know that that lady, um, the story is true. She is happily living in New York City with all her family. Beautiful. (laughs) Incredible. Hi, folks. I hope 2024 has got off to a good start. I think most of you know this podcast comes out on the auspices of Great Lakes Outreach, working in Burundi, which is still annoyingly the hungriest and poorest country in the world. There are so many positives. I mean, I I look look back at last year, see that we've impacted a couple of hundred thousand people in a very meaningful way. I've got all these lovely photos of prostitutes that we've helped get out of prostitution, giving them a new skill as tailors. I think of street kids that we've helped get off the streets. Think of microfinance loans that we've given out to poorest of the poor people, mainly widows who have managed to start up businesses and and are now thriving, being lifted out of poverty. Mud huts that have been able to knock down and build sort of brick houses with a tin roof and a door that can be locked to actually protect these vulnerable ladies. So many people have come into relationship with Jesus, come to faith. I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. In that context, at the same time, there have been 40% food price rises of basic foodstuffs and they've been five hikes in the last three months of fuel which just adds up to crippling inflation that affects everybody it's so challenging so if you want to back us if you're enjoying the podcast i'd really appreciate it you you sewing into the work and that's so you can go do that at greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash inspired we'd love it for you to journey with us greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash inspired and keep enjoying the podcast now let's get back to it So what's the transition to not just female prisons, but men as well? Well, good question. I I think the Lord heard, well, I know the Lord heard my statement when I said, Lord, here I am. I don't mind where you send me or where I go. And so this was May 94. But in September of that year, Nikki Gumbel was phoned by a prisoner uh, in Exeter Prison 
who had got permission from the chaplain to, to ring the church. And his girlfriend was doing Alpha at HTB and she was enthusing about the course and spoke to her boyfriend in prison and said, really, this course, you know, is changing my life. You need to do it as well. He went to his chaplain, Bill Birdwood, and um, Bill had been thinking about running Alpha, but didn't really, hadn't really, you know, started the ball rolling. And so this man called um, Michael got through to Nikki and said, boy, he said, uh, uh, would you come down and introduce Alpha? Uh, you know, you've got my girlfriend on, on your course and we need to hear about it here. And Nikki genuinely would have gone and his diary was a little full. But because of that, he said, look, I can't come, but I know someone I can send. And in the last few years, I've only recently found out that he had to ask Sandy Miller's permission to ring me and say, would you, would I, would I take a team? Because obviously it was a huge transition to go into a men's prison, having worked in, in a women's prison. So the next day he rang me, having got permission from Sandy and said, um, please take a team down to extra prison and introduce Alpha. And I said, no way, Nikki. And he said, what do you mean? No way. And I said, I work in a women's prison, never been to a men's prison. He said, just talk to the uh, chaplain. Um, he sounds really nice. So I rang Bill Birdwood. Uh, who was actually very reassuring. He said, look, you'll be safe. We'll look after you. I promise you, you know, you'll be absolutely fine, etc." So on December the 14th, 1994, I took a team with me of uh, seven people and we went into the chapel at Exeter Prison and this man, Michael, was sharing a cell with his father. Together, they'd been caught importing four and a half tonnes of cannabis worth 11 and a half million pounds. Hmm. It was the biggest drug haul ever at the time. So we spent a little time worshipping and then gave testimony about how the Holy Spirit was uh, transforming lives. And then we invited the Holy Spirit to come. And don't forget, I'd never seen anything uh, in a men's prison in a group setting before. And in Holloway, I only worked with individuals. But the chapel be became... Well, it was, it was extraordinary. There were people laughing, there were people crying, there were people on the floor. And Michael's father, Brian, literally fell to the floor and for 20 minutes rolled in hysterical, gut-wrenching laughter. And the rest of us were sort of incredulous because we'd never seen anything like this before. And eventually Michael helped his dad up off, off his feet and said to him, Dad, I've never seen you laugh like that. And then Michael turned to me and said, can I learn to pray for people like, like you do? So he started to come around praying for people. And everybody was filled with the Spirit. So that was December 94. Then in January 95, Michael, Brian, and uh, a number of people did Alfred at Exeter. And as soon as they finished the course, they got transferred to Swellside Prison on the Isle of Sheppey. And one of the first statutory duties a chaplain has to do is to go and see any new um, newcomer. And when he went to see Michael and Brian, they both said, uh, do you run Alpha here? And the chaplain said, no, what's Alpha? And Michael and Brian said, oh, if you ring Emmy at HTB, she'll ring a team down because that was obviously their experience. So I got this cold call from <laughs> the chaplain saying, you don't know me, but I think, you know, two of my prisoners um, mentioned their names. Would you come down and introduce Alpha? So I said, hmm, <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, not terribly keen. Um, Anyway, a few months later, the date was in the diary, down I went. And uh, because these guys are quite notorious criminals, they brought a large group from their wing to the chapel. 
And we had this extraordinary afternoon introducing Alpha. And then the chaplain said to me, I've been doing some reading about the course. I see there's a Holy Spirit Day. Would you come back and do the teaching on, on that day? And I said, well, I've never done it in prison before. And he said, yes, but you've done Alpha. So I said, oh, okay. <laughs> so we went back and did the Alpha Holy Spirit Day teaching. And again, we saw the Spirit poured out. And all the time that Michael and Brian were in that prison, Alpha grew and grew and grew and more and more came. And then they got transferred to Maidstone Prison. And I then get a call from Maidstone Prison from the chaplain saying, you don't know me, but I think you know two of my inmates. Would you come <laughs> down and introduce Alpha? And uh, they ended up in um, their fourth prison in, in Kent. Um, and basically everywhere they went, uh, I went and followed them. So God used two serving prisoners to spread the Alpha course. It was literally a case of me responding to calls from the chaplaincy and going down and, yeah, introducing Alpha. So I love I love the fact that God's ways are higher than our ways. And, you know, who would have thought that he would use two serving prisoners to spread the Alpha course amongst yeah, the prisons? Brilliant. Just going back to, um, you know, your dramatic encounter in, in mid-1994, I went to HCB in... December 1994, I think it was the Capital Radio doing a, a carol concert there. And I'd gone because it was being reported in the press what was going on with the Toronto Blessing. And I, I and people were queuing outside to get in. It was it was so popular. It was hitting the mainstream, mainstream news. And I went there and I was like, Lord, I, I'm not going to be duped. I'm, I'm not, you know, if this is real, I'm up for it. But if it's not, you know, I'm not a sucker for anything. And I was in there and it was, a, it was beautifully atmospheric. There were candles you know, it was it was just a really pretty evening do in the dark. And, and we, we were praying. I said, Lord, bring it on. I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. A bit like your prayer. And uh, I'm, I'm surrendered to you. And uh, and then I felt this this warm glow on the back of my head. And it got warm and warm. And it got hot and hot. And it's like a pitter-patter, pitter-patter. And then it, it got so hot. And and then I it, it started burning me. And I looked up and it was a candle pouring down my back. <laughs> sort of literally burning me. And uh, so that was my sort of non-encounter with the Holy Spirit. But in, in, I'm not making light of it, but, but you, your, yours was very real. And I just know that as, I'm t as some people listening would be really skeptical, like even from my background, I can think of some friends that were like, that whole season was, was a deception. I know, some, you know it split some churches, but your encounter and the biblical yardstick of measurement really, isn't it? It's by your fruit, you will know them. Isn't that right? Absolutely. It's interesting because uh, Sandy Miller, who steered us through that time, and we used to hold uh, meetings which clergy came to from all around the country, and they would ask questions. Um, San Sandy was often asked about the Toronto Blessing um, because people were very critical. And he would say, well, you have to look at the fruit and, you know, the Alpha Ministry in the Prisons uh, with Emmy leading it, having been filled with the Spirit, has been transformational. And I always, uh, well, I know from my posh background that there's no way I could have done this ministry at all. And Simon, for me, it was being so overwhelmed with the love of God that any fear of man literally just uh, drained from me. And often I, I think um, when people ask me, can I come on a team? I say, well, what qualifies you is to be non-judgmental. You know, don't forget that was my background, being very judgmental. So that means if you can pray for a paedophile or a murderer or a drug baron and not judge them, you know, that's that will qualify you to be on, on a team. Um, yeah. 
So the fruit has been stunning, hasn't it? It's exploded alpha in prisons, uh, not just in England and the UK. It's gone around the world. You've traveled to dozens of countries. You made a round. You didn't make Burundi, though, I'm sad to say. No, not yet. I've done many African countries, as you'll see from my CV. But I think for me, one of the most extraordinary things that happened was in 2011, I was doing uh, a global alpha training in Gulu, which is right in the north of Uganda. It's quite near the Sudanese border. And uh, I took a, a mixed team, two people from Canada, one from Singapore and me. And the night we arrived, the then bishop um, asked us to come to his house so he could welcome us. And as I walked in, we realized we knew each other because he had been the chaplain of Luzira prison in Kampala. And I'd been in his prison with him five years before when I was doing an alpha conference in Kampala. And so that was that lovely sort of connection. And then he came the next morning to open the two-day training. And then on the second day of the training, uh, I welcomed him for lunch and we sat over lunch. And then as we walked across to the church where he was about to speak, he took me by the hand and said, I would like to ordain you. Hmm. And I was like a fish out of water because there'd been nothing in the conversation over lunch to preempt that he was about to say that. And so I was literally sort of stopped in my tracks, speechless. And you could see I'd, I was obviously shocked. So he said, I'm coming to London next week because it was our Alpha International Week. And I'm going to speak to Sandy Miller and Nikki Gumbel about you. So I thought, oh, crumbs. So I came home and rang Sandy and got his answer machine because he was in Scotland and it didn't have a signal. So I thought I'll leave a message so he can digest what I'm telling him. And he rang me back 20 minutes later, having listened to the message. And bless him, his opening remarks were, um, I should have ordained you years ago, which was very sweet of him because it was never on my radar. So the bishop came over for Alpha International Week, spoke to Sandy, spoke to Nikki. Sandy then spoke to the Bishop of London. And because I, I was known on the church staff, it wasn't as if I was a complete stranger. So I then had to fill in my sort of spiritual journey, send it off to the Bishop of London's office. And when uh, they had given it the green light and told Bishop Johnson, who by then had gone back to Uganda, he rang me and he said, I'm going to ordain you on uh, November the 26th this year. So <laughs> I had a very supernatural journey. Um, and Sandy came out uh, to preach at my ordination. There were 5,000 people at my ordination. I became the first white woman ever to be ordained in hmm. Northern Uganda. And an ex-witch doctor gave his testimony at my ordination. And I'll never forget it. He pointed to the crowd and he, he shouted, many of you came to see me when I was a witch doctor. Some of you bishops, some of you clergy, some of you politicians, and you need to repent. Wow. And everybody shook. Um, so I was ordained as chaplain to the Worldwide Prisons, which was not the title I was expecting, but, you know, Bishop Johnson by then had seen I'd done an awful lot of travel and um, came home again and then two years later went back to be priested. So, yeah, what in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord alters his steps. I never dreamt I would be ordained as chaplain to the Worldwide Prisons in northern Uganda um, when I was a, a student nurse. Mm, amazing. Hey folks, looking ahead to 2024, I'm planning my speaking schedule. So whether it's a Sunday service or men's breakfast, evangelistic event, youth, whatever, do get in touch at info at greatlakesoutreach.org. And hopefully I, myself, or one of our team of great speakers at Great Lakes Outreach will be able to come along and share with you. Get in touch, info at greatlakesoutreach.org. 
maybe see you next year in the flesh. Let's get back to the podcast. Now, you'll have loads of stories of lives incredibly transformed, beautifully transformed, like trophies of grace. What are your favourite stories of sharing of people in prison meeting Jesus? Um, Simon, I can certainly say that um, Michael Emmett obviously is one of my greatest friends now. And he, we, we laugh because he says, you know, he and I started the prison ministry and I tease him. I say, Michael, don't forget, you were the prisoner and I was the visitor. <laughs> you know, let's get the order right. Um, but, you know, I did his mother's funeral. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, extraordinary things. And uh, he's he will always be a very, very dear friend. But I think one of my other extraordinary stories was um, I was given a newspaper clipping about uh, a man called Shane Taylor. Mm. It was deemed to, well, he was on the uh, list in the Home Office as being one of the top uh, six most violent prisoners in the entire country. But he had come to faith and it turned out it was on an alpha course. And yeah, basically he, he was in solitary confinement for over two years because he, he tried to stab and kill two prison officers, which obviously is a complete no-no, um, being an understatement. Mm-hmm. And um, it was one of those solitary confinement situations where he wasn't, even really allowed out at all and there was a hatch that the food was put through and had to be unlocked and then locked again and if ever he came out of his cell it required seven armed officers in full right gear to uh, guard him and protect him and then he ended up coming out of solitary confinement going back onto a wing and one day he was on his way what he thought to was to the education department but if you're not on a list when you get to the department you can't go in because obviously they need to know where every prisoner is in, in the prison and the officer at the door of the education said well why don't you go over there and over there was the chapel and in the chapel they were running the alpha course and he walked in and as they started to speak he thought oh no this is all about god you know, what would God want with a scumbag like me? Hmm. And was about to leave in the tea break. And someone said, we serve chocolate biscuits. So he said, oh, I'm staying for them. Hmm. So he he continued to go every week. And then on the Alpha Holy Spirit Day, he was prayed for and experienced nothing, was taken back to the cell at the end of the afternoon. And then God spoke to the chaplain and said, go and unlock Shane and bring him back to the chapel and pray for him again. And hmm. the chaplain said, yeah, but God, this is Shane. You know, he's got a reputation and God's Holy Spirit said, go and unlock Shane. So he did. He brought him back to the chapel, explained the gospel to him again, laid hands on him. And on that occasion, uh, Shane feels this extraordinary uh, bubbling in his tummy, which sort of then sort of comes up through his chest. And then he bursts out crying and um sitting in the chaplaincy office he sobs and sobs and then the chaplain hands him a bible and says you're going to need this now takes him back to the wing and normally the the officers are were very very defensive but as he arrived on the wing he he went running up to the officers holding his bible saying jesus is real jesus (laughs) is real and he was literally a saul who became a paul in that moment of conversion yeah and within uh, weeks, he became the chapel orderly. And then he left prison 18 months later, still following Jesus, met and married this girl called Samantha. 
and they've had five children who they've named Jacob, Isaac, um, Angel, Grace, and Elijah. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Love those stories. So whenever I've done prison ministry, I've always tried to take uh, people with testimonies to speak on the Upper Holy Spirit Day because there's no doubt that testimony really reaches people in a way that um, my own testimony wouldn't. So I asked the chaplain of Risley Prison, where I was about to do an Upper Holy Spirit Day, can I bring this man called Shane Taylor? I said, all I've got is a newspaper clip about him. He's very notorious, but what do you think? So he had to check with his security at the prison. And amazingly, they said yes. So Shane came in and I remember thinking, because he wasn't speaking until after lunch, I'll talk to him in the lunch break and just hear his testimony. And as he spoke about being transformed by the Holy Spirit on the Alpha Holy Spirit Day in uh, the prison he'd been in, I thought, wow, you know, this is extraordinary. Um, If he gives his testimony this afternoon, there might be quite a number of people who will respond positively. So I asked him, you know, can I come and stand with you when you've spoken? And um, uh, because I'm sure that people will respond. So almost before he finished his testimony, men came running to the front. I think virtually everyone in the chapel. And uh, they wanted to become Christians like Shane had become. So I said to Shane, pray. And he said, how do I pray? I said, just pray, you know, and he mumbled this sort of or stumbled through a prayer. And uh, all these men said, amen. And then he started to do more Holy Spirit days with me. And then I said to him one day, Shane, you're, need, you're going to need a passport. He said, I've never been anywhere. Hmm. Unless traveled anywhere. And I said, well, you're going to need a passport at some stage. So a few years later, he emails uh, me and Paul Carley uh, one day and says, I've been invited to do a TEDx talk in Luzira Maxim Security Prison in Uganda, but I've never been on an airplane. I need someone to take me. And because I'm a woman, I thought there's no way I'll be asked, you know, Paul will probably go. And Paul said, well, actually, um, my diary is pretty full. Um, you take him. I said, okay. <laughs> so Shane gets a passport. I book the tickets and there's a lot of prep to get him to the right stage because you, you can imagine that it was a huge journey for him. And he, I think at that stage, he already had four children. And uh, he didn't even know how to get from South Ken down to Heathrow Airport because I told him there were different stops at Heathrow. You had to get out at Terminal 5, not Terminals 1, 2 and 3 or rather Terminal 4. And uh, anyway, the first thing that happened was he was upgraded at the airport. Hmm. He didn't know what upgraded meant. We got on the plane and we arrived in um, Kampala. And two days later, we were taken into the maximum security wing in the prison. And he heard people's testimonies and he was blown away by the prison because, of course, African prisons are not like UK ones. I often say our prisons in the UK are five-star hotels in comparison to African prisons. And uh, then he did his TEDx talk um, on the fourth day in front of, uh, I think there were about 3,000 people. There were uh, over 1,200 inmates, but then a huge amount of guests and dignitaries. The Lord Chief Justice was there. And uh, I'll never forget it. I don't know if you've ever watched the Shawshank Redemption, yeah. but there were two opera singers who who came in as visitors and, and sang that aria. Mm. Uh, and it was it was just the most extraordinary experience. But 
Shane was one of six who spoke and he spoke just before the coffee break. And in the coffee break, people came running up to him and again, just wanted to be around him and touch him. And they remember them saying to him, if God can transform your life, maybe he can transform my life. Yeah. Now, um, you've recently uh, not retired. You were talking about refiring, that you've been refired, not retired. Um, So you've turned 70 earlier on this year. What's the plan? Well, I once heard Jean Donnell, who was an American evangelist, talk about um, people saying, oh, how sad you're retiring. And she said, I'm not retiring, I'm refiring. So that's my phrase. I'm not retired, I'm refired. And uh, I, my, my, my hope and prayer is that I can uh, encourage and bless churches and people continuing me to travel around the world because that's what I love doing. Uh, I've recently been appointed as, as an ambassador for Alpha Globally, so... Uh, I have, I come now with an official title, but you know, what's the point of sitting at home um, when I can uh, continue to see lives transformed? And uh, I I want to continue to pray for people. I don't believe as yet I've seen the healings that I'm I'm hoping and praying for because I love praying for healing to this day. Um, But I want to keep going into prisons and keep seeing uh, people turn their lives around as they experience the love of Jesus and as they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And you've been involved also in human trafficking, the fight against it. Yes, that's an amazing story. Um, Working at uh, Holy Trinity in Queensgate, uh, it's a church that's literally on the main road. And one Sunday morning, this man walked in and within minutes had told me his testimony. Um, He was a 9-11 survivor. Extraordinary story. Sujo John is his name. You can Google him. Um, But uh, he now runs a human trafficking organization called You Can Free Us. And I realized that people who are trafficked are also prisoners. Mm. And yes, they're not in a jail, but they are literally in captivity. And I've had a heart for for some years to get involved. And so as a result of meeting Sujo at church, um, I'm now a trustee of his charity. And I've been out to uh, Mumbai and visited the brothels there. Um, and the safe houses there and uh, just seeing the witness of lives transformed as girls are rescued often with their children from the brothels and uh, my goodness that's uh, as you probably know a huge money spinning business but we all need to be involved in human trafficking because it's it's a worldwide issue yeah and uh, time's running out but I know you're you're happy to talk about uh, singleness never marrying and whether any regrets there talking to that None whatsoever. I mean, I, I, as a young person, I was convinced I'd marry when I was 23 because that was the year my mum married. I am a romantic. Um, and yes, I would have loved to be married and had lots of children. But I feel a bit like Jackie Pullinger when asked how sad that you've never had children. And she always says, children? I've got more children than any of you. <laughs> Actually, Michael Emmett would say, if you were married, and we'd all be jealous of your husband. So <laughs> Yeah, I've got loads of spiritual children in prison, which obviously is incredibly special. Yeah. I, ha- I have actually had two marriage proposals, Simon. Um, they were both at the end of three-day missions in a prison. I remember <laughs> the first time it happened, I went, oh, I said, I've never been asked that before. <laughs> and this guy said, no, it's a genuine request. And I said, but I've only just met you. Anyway, obviously I said no, but <laughs> um, but no, it's it's been incredible. I, I'm free to travel. Um, I, I'm free, you know, just to 
be at the beck and call of, of the Holy Spirit. So, yeah. uh, yes, I would would have loved it, but it hasn't happened. And I, I'm a great believer, Simon, don't spend your life wasting the years of moaning that you're not married because at the end of the day, um, you can be um, as fulfilled and I'm going to even say even more fulfilled yeah. um, uh, when you follow the calling of the Lord because his ways are so much higher and better than our our own ways. Amen. Yeah, I mean, you live, I, I, my favorite verse is John 10, 10. I've come there of life and life to the full. And yeah. You have absolutely and continue to live that. It's a beautiful model to all of us. Yeah. Uh, Emmy, it's been brilliant. We've run out of time. Can you give us your last parting shot, your final words? Uh, yes, I think I would want to say, um, I remember in 94, the Holy Spirit saying to me, I want my people to be excited about my ministry. And without that empowering experience being filled with the Spirit, not once, but many, many, many times, I wouldn't be doing what I, I'm doing now. Um, and I would just want to say to everyone, keep receiving the Holy Spirit, keep uh, pressing in, because um, when you fall in love with Jesus through the power of the Spirit, it's the most amazing journey to be on. Amen. Well, guys, I hope you've been encouraged, inspired. It's beautiful to hear what the Lord's done through Emmy and her crew, through prisons in, in the UK and to the nations. Just absolutely wonderful. God bless Alpha in prisons and uh, Alpha in general. And uh, Emmy, thanks so much for your time. God bless you. Thank you, Simon. God bless you too. Yeah, here's to a fruitful refinement. Uh, the, the best is yet to come. Yeah. Listen, everybody, uh, it'd be great if you can give us a high quality review on Spotify, iTunes, so that more people get to hear about it. Do pass it on to anyone who you think will benefit from it uh, I want to thank Adam Thomas Steer for the editing Mike Sandyman for the mixing and next week we'll have another fantastic guest I love the variety the range of experiences we get to hear about uh, in the meantime you guys have a great week God bless and toodaloo